Welcome to the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the future of farming, food, and nutrition. Certain supplements may have a legitimate place in addressing optimal performance and breeding in elite equine athletes. As an equine nutritionist and veterinarian, Dr. William Bernard is here to help provide a bit of perspective on how to identify and utilize the proper products in a multi-billion dollar industry. Dr. Bernard, hello. Hello, how are you? Doing okay. Thanks for joining us. When I think about the history of horses in Kentucky, I imagine the sheer number that have made their way onto TV screens across the globe via the Derby and other races. How do the stakes change when you're addressing the health of an animal that can have so much invested in its success? Well, um, I suppose I could say the stakes change because of the potential monetary value of that performance if it's a race or, you know, a three-day event or in the value of the animal that that is a high performer. So so nutrition and uh, supplements do have a place. Um, and my major interest in that area is currently is probiotics. Well, how would you say that the daily demands of an equine athlete compared to, say, a, a hobby horse? And how would those translate into the nutritional needs to kind of balance the optimal performance and health of that horse? Yeah, a hobby horse is going to be nutritionally satisfied by um, a minimal – by pasture grass and a good hay and potentially a little supplementation of uh, a concentrate such as grains – Whereas a performance horse is going to be using a lot more energy, so it's going to need a much higher level of nutrition, although we do have to be somewhat careful in that um, too high a level of nutrition can be harmful metabolically. Um, and then I think also it's very it's, – it's hard for us to realize or difficult for us to see, but the performance horse is under a lot more stress than the hobby horse. The hobby horse may spend a week outside, come in on Sundays, be ridden a little bit or not ridden at all and brushed off and taken care of, but doesn't have that daily stress of, say, a racehorse going out to the racetrack daily and exercising. Um, there may, <clears throat> may be something new in the, in the environment. There may be a new horse in the barn. There's a new stallion in the barn. There's, you know, this is, and there's also a lot of shipping involved when you get to that level of performance. So a horse may spend three or four hours in a trailer, may have to get into an airplane. So there's, a, you know, not only a caloric nutritional need for the performing athlete, but the consideration of, of, of the stressful periods that they actually go through. And there is a lot more attention on the gut uh, response to some of that those stressors that you're mentioning. And most animals have their own unique bacterial environment in the gut. Can you talk a bit about challenges in balancing bacteria in horses? Um, yes. And one of the first things that, if you think about one of the simplest things that probably alters that flora, um, which we can call the microbiota or the microbiome is the term that's used now to describe the floor of the gastrointestinal tract, the way we feed horses is totally different than the way they developed. The horse developed as a grazing animal. It spent the majority of the day grazing on grass and oftentimes not that great a quality of grass. Nowadays, we feed high-quality hay because we need the energy and we feed supplements 
concentrates, grain, which are also high in soluble carbohydrates. And yes, they provide a large amount of energy. However, we feed them in meals. The horse is a grazing animal. It's not used to being fed large meals of 10, 12 pounds of grain. So that's one thing that one of the, the things that occurs is that uh, we initially stress the horse with the way we feed them. Um, and then, as we were talking about a few minutes ago, the stresses of their daily activities, their stresses of the social environment or lack of social environment, the stresses of, of being inside most of the day, the stresses of their performance, their stresses of travel, etc., can really influence the gastrointestinal tract. We There have been some very interesting recent studies that have showed how stress can actually change the flora within minutes or within hours of that stressor. There is now a technique, and, and part of the aspect of probiotics and the microbiome that has become very interesting is the testing. When a new test comes out in some field, all of a sudden we discover new things when we're able to look differently, look further, look in different places. Well, recently, well, I shouldn't say all that recently, but recently, relatively recently, RNA sequencing has become a technique where the a person you can, you know, a scientist or a, a veterinarian or a biologist or whoever can take a sample of, of the flora of the ingestion, the gastrointestinal tract, and are do it what's called the RNA sequencing. Some people call it shotgun RNA, and can determine all of the different species and the numbers of those species of bacteria in that sample. And the reason that's such a huge advance over the past is in the past, if we took that sample and we have to culture the bacteria, and culturing bacteria is not an exact science. Each bacteria has its own growth characteristics. And you can imagine the, the thousands of cultures you'd have to do on you know, one sample to try to determine what it is. So that has allowed us to look at the population of bacteria in the gastrointestinal tract over time. So studies have shown that if you have a group of pigs and you look at their, their microflora with this sequencing of RNA, and then you stress those pigs and take another sample of – you stress them by moving them from one pen to another, you know, or, or changing something – predominantly in their life, um, and take another sample, you've changed the bacteria. So that also reflects on how we study these bacteria. So if we're going to study these bacteria, we have to remember that if we stress the animal before, we're, before our study or during our study, we better watch where we take our samples and when we take our samples. And it seems like that would be kind of challenging in creating uh, a meal plan for a specific course if, if the microbiome can change so quickly um, and, and be so different than, you know, the, the horse that's in the stall next to him. How do you determine feeding rates, what kind of feed, uh, what probiotics to use, what have your uh, research, what has the research revealed that is working best, I guess, across the board? Yeah, I think there's a lot of research on, on nutritionally how to feed horses. That has been studied extensively because there is a financial reason to do so, not only but for the feed companies, but for the, you know, the owners of the athletes themselves. 
Um, so nutritionally, there that that has been researched, and that information is is definitely available. Now, um, increase recently in the last ten to fifteen years, we've increased the amount of fat we feed horses. So there are certain diets that can be done. Um, the thing to remember is if you do make changes in the diet, you're going to need to make them gradually. So if you make a sudden change to the diet, you're going to have a major impact on the gastrointestinal flora. If you make more of a gradual change to the diet, you're going to have a less – you're going to give it more time to adapt. Um, to get away from meal feeding if possible, to extend that – period at which um, we feed our concentrates. The trouble is, is that is management of that is very difficult. So part of the way we manage the daily activities of these horses is, is going to dictate how we feed them. That was one of my questions is what are some of the challenges in determining what probiotics you can use? And That's a really good question and, and a very important question and has not really been addressed very well in the past is what kind of probiotics should you be looking for? What are the factors that, that tell you this is a good probiotic? And there's three or four very important things. One, and probably one of the most important, is species specificity. Okay, and that means that if you're going to use a probiotic for a horse, it should be a bacteria that's from the horse. If you're going to use a probiotic for a dog, it should be from the dog. If you're going to use a probiotic for the human, it should be a bacteria that was cultured from, originated from a human. So that's what I mean by species specificity. And the reason for that is that if you take a dog bacteria and give it to a horse, the probiotics, most of the probiotics that are of significance live along the surface of the gastrointestinal tract. The organisms that digest feed live internally in the gastrointestinal tract. But the probiotics live along the surface. So if you're a dog bacteria, you're probably not going to attach and live on the surface of the gastrointestinal tract, the surface cells of the gastrointestinal tract of the horse. So that's why species specificity is important. Now, that's not always 100% true. There is some thought that the dog, some of the dog bacteria in the gastrointestinal tract are very similar to human bacteria and may live together very well. And the reason is because the dog and human have evolved together for so long. You know, so there, that's not 100% true. But there are probiotics on the market now that are cheese culture pro bacteria. Why are you giving a bacteria that makes cheese to a horse? So you need a bacteria that's from that individual that's been cultured from that individual and then will have the ability to live on the surface and, and reproduce and grow on the surface of that species. The other thing is that it's very important to give live bacteria. Okay, dead bacteria will have some benefit. Um, How can you tell if it's alive or dead? Well, it should have a guarantee, but oftentimes those guarantees aren't very accurate. But it should have a guarantee of live bacteria at time of use. And then you want to look at the type of product. If it's a container with a lid, you're very unlikely to have live bacteria. And the reason for that is as soon as you take that lid off, there's going to be exposure to moisture and air. And bacteria that are in probiotics are generally lyophilized or freeze-dried. So those freeze-dried bacteria, when they're exposed to moisture, they will come to life. 
oh, they're not dead, but they'll, you know, because they've been freeze dried, but they'll, they'll be able to start to reproduce. But if they're not in an environment where they can live, they're going to die. So they're not from a container. They can't live in a container unless they're lyophilized. So a product needs to be an individual dosage product, like a sachet or a packet, or it needs to be in something that is hydrophobic. So something that, that doesn't like water, like an oil base or a paste that's oil paste, okay, or potentially a tablet. Certainly, you know, one of the worst things would be just a container you take a scoop out of. Those bacteria are unlikely to be alive. So live bacteria are very important. The other thing besides species specificity and live bacteria would be numbers. Okay. So if you see it has a million bacteria per dose, that's not very good. We're probably needing billions of bacteria per dose. Now, if you're giving a sick animal, because probiotics are, can be very useful for a sick animal with gastrointestinal disease. There's kind of two ways to think about giving probiotics. One is your sick patient, and that's where I got my interest in probiotics was in that my specialty is internal medicine, and I treated a lot of horses with gastrointestinal disease, enterocolitis, which is a fancy name for diarrhea. And probiotics can be very helpful for treatment and recovery, probably more so for recovery of, of returning to a normal stool. The other way that that probiotics are given is more as a daily. So if you're giving a sick animal a probiotic, you want to give, you know, a horse would, would be nice to see 20 billion to 50 billion. If you're given a daily, you can give a, a lower number, but it should, should still be in the billions. Because a daily, the idea with a daily is to continually replenish that important bacteria. This is all pretty um, technical information, I guess. So if, if a horse owner is looking at getting into probiotics, can they just get it over the counter or would you recommend them going to their vet? I think you can do either or. Honestly, when I was in veterinary school, we learned a lot about bacteria, but we learned about bad bacteria. And the good bacteria were those bacteria that were in cows and horses that or ruminants and non-rumin herbivores that digested the feedstuffs. We learned about those bacteria. We didn't spend a lot, and we learned about the bad bacteria, Salmonella, E. coli, Clostridium, etc. But we didn't spend a lot of time learning about the good bacteria and what they actually do and how they do it, which is is fascinating and is a new kind of not new, but it's more of an evolving science. So as a veterinarian, I can say that a lot of veterinarians don't really have the knowledge about probiotics. And I'm, obviously, as a veterinarian, I'm not trying to be critical of veterinarians, but I didn't either a few years ago until I started kind of looking into it. You know, I think you can do either or. You know, you can have conversations with your veterinarian or you can, you know, go to, um, you know, where you buy your, your supplements and ask. But look for things with live bacteria, large numbers, and species specificity. What made you kind of look in this direction? Was it um, talk about the veterinary feed directive coming into play or? Um... No, and that's a good question. Well, I'll tell you what got me interested in this was my patients. When I had, you know, you know an active uh, veterinary practice, I worked in a hospital and I had sick horses. 
and we would have our rounds in the morning and students and interns and residents would ask me, well, why are we not using a probiotic? Because they were coming out of school with more knowledge about probiotics than I had. So they were asking me questions about why are we not using a good pro- a probiotic? And I learned with time is never, you know, disagree. You know, there's some students may know a lot more about some things than you do. And, you know, so be careful. And, and I didn't really know why until I looked into it. It's because we didn't really have good ones. The bacteria were dead. And at that time, um, there was a veterinarian in Canada who was at the university um, in Guelph that cultured 10 of the probiotics that are available, and they all had dead bacteria. They were, couldn't find any bacteria. Um, and then a lot of them had you know, bacteria that were from other species or cheese cultures or whatever. So that's what kind of started me into it was trying to help my patients. Because a horse with diarrhea, you know, we, we're limited. Yes, we can use antibiotics. You have to be careful because we may even be killing more gastrointestinal bacteria. We use bismuth subsalicylates, which is basically peptobismol. We use charcoal to try to bind toxins. There's a lot of things we have, but we didn't have something really good to replace the, the flora of the gastrointestinal tract. What kind of changes in performance have you witnessed in preventive nutritional plans versus pharmacological treatment? That's a really good question because I love that word preventative. Because if you think about it, we don't practice as veterinarians, what preventatives do we practice in our backyard horses, in our athletes, in our breeding horses? Vaccinations. That's a preventative. And deworming, parasit- treating parasites or preventing parasites, that's a preventative. We've been doing that for years. We haven't, we don't have, we haven't really addressed the gastrointestinal tract as far as the flora at all. And I think it's a potentially an inexpensive way to, particularly in young animals, young horses you're raising, there's been some work in humans that have shown how important that certain bacteria are to the development of the immune system. One of the, the bacteria that I'm most interested in is called Lactobacillus ruderi. And this bacteria is critical to the development of the infant's immune system. Not only the, the, the horse or the dog or the cow, but to humans. And if you think about it, what have we done in human medicine in raising a newborn that has changed their flora the most? I don't know how much of this I can say on the radio, so this may be a part where I have to change. But where does the infant get its its flora? Its mother. Its mother, correct. Where It gets it from passage through the vaginal canal, and it gets it from suckling the teat. So what have we done? We feed a lot of milk replacer, or like a, what's it called in humans, infant formula, or, mm-hmm. you know, and... Also, we do a lot of cesarean sections in humans. So they don't get their flora, and the flora is critical. So there have been studies that have shown that adding ruteri, lactobacillus ruteri, back to some of these infant formulas has produced a healthier child. And myriad studies have been done in mice and other species with lactobacillus ruteri to show how some of these effects occur in the development of the immune system. 
what would you say is the current owner or industry perception of probiotics and how do you see it evolving? I, I think it's it's a matter of education. I really do. I think that, you know, we see a lot of, of, of human probiotics being advertised on television. So people have the knowledge of a probiotic, but I don't think they have the knowledge of the importance of species specificity, the importance of live bacteria, et cetera. I think those are the things that we people don't understand. And not that they should, but because they just haven't been told. It's, they're not exposed to that information. But I think the perception of, of probiotics is going to, you know, or the perception and use of the probiotics is, is going to expand when we f- see what it can do. Dr. William Bernard is an equestrian veterinarian in Lexington, Kentucky. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. For show notes and more episodes, visit alltech.com forward slash agfuture. future.